Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Indigenous leaders begin meetings with the Pope. It's what Indigenous groups and others, uh, their supporters, uh, who long decried the history of residential schools in this country have been asking for uh, for a long time, and that is an acknowledgement uh, by the Roman Catholic Church of the role it played in residential schools in Canada. What will be the impact of the Liberal NDP deal in Parliament and on the upcoming budget? We're in a parliamentary democracy, and in a parliamentary democracy, uh, all parties uh, in a minority context have to work together, and they have to find a path forward. Uh, And that's exactly what we've done. And what comes next for the Prime Minister and other NATO leaders on the crisis in Ukraine? We must continue to impose unprecedented sanctions on Putin and his enablers in Russia and Belarus, increasing the pressure as much as we can. We must ensure that the decision to invade a sovereign, independent country is understood to be a strategic failure that carries with it ruinous costs for Putin and Russia. It's Monday, March 28th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Mark. So let's start with something big that's happening this week. A number of Indigenous leaders are going to be meeting with the Pope. And and of course, for a long time, since even before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but especially since the report came out, there has been an expectation, really, of the Catholic Church to do a lot to respond and to apologize for residential schools. And now this meeting is going to take place. Let's talk about the dynamics heading into this meeting and, and what might happen. Well, I think it's it's very significant. Um, it's what Indigenous groups and others, uh, their supporters, uh, who uh, have long decried the history of residential schools in this country have been asking for uh, for a long time, and that is an acknowledgement uh, by the Roman Catholic Church uh, of the role it played in residential schools in Canada. And so, you know, Indigenous groups, and again, their supporters have pushed long and hard for this meeting uh, at the Vatican. They've got the meeting at the Vatican. In fact, uh, you know, it's, it's quite impressive to me, Mark, that this will happen all week long. There are meetings uh, today in Rome, meetings uh, again Wednesday in Rome, again Thursday in Rome, uh, 170, uh, the delegations, 170 strong of Indigenous uh, leaders and community members from across the country and from uh, every Indigenous group in the country, uh, representing every you know First Nations, Métis, Inuit, um, they're all there. They're getting an audience with the Pope, and they all want the same thing. They want they want each group wants something different in terms of uh, their expectations and and uh, the things they feel need to be addressed by the Vatican. But all uh, groups want uh, singularly want one thing, and that's an apology from the Roman Catholic Church delivered by the Pope, an apology from the Pope, and they want it delivered. They've said in Canada. So I think what we're watching for uh, by the end of this week and at the end of these meetings and maybe even during these meetings, a clear indication from the Pope that, yes, he will apologize, and yes, he'll come to Canada to do it. And do you think, uh, I know a lot of people are speculating, and it's hard to know, but if, if if the Pope is having these meetings, it seems to suggest that he is more open to some type of outcome, some type of progress on this, uh, as opposed to, I mean, it, it seems unlikely that he would have the meetings if he wasn't going to offer something, right? Uh, 
I think that's the way to look at it. Uh, and I think, and I, and I think if there wasn't, um, you know, uh, I mean, I, I've talked to indigenous leaders about this meeting over the last number of months. And uh, what they've said to me is, look, we're, we're, we're not going to Rome to be told he's not coming to Canada and not going to apologize. So one would think the fact that these delegations are having the meetings, that uh, the Vatican is open to the meetings, that uh, the groundwork has been laid uh, to move this process forward and to help uh, Indigenous people in this country deal with this terrible, and, and you know the rest of Canadians, to deal with this terrible uh, long chapter in our history and uh, to bring, uh, if not closure, uh, the next step in the healing process. And the healing process is decided by the people who are need the healing. Uh, they're the ones who said this is a, a key demand of theirs. This is something they need to see happen. And the fact that the the visits are taking place and that uh, they've traveled all the way to Rome and were invited to do so by the Vatican suggests that uh, it wouldn't be, to your point, Mark, it wouldn't be happening if there weren't going to be some kind of serious progress. Yeah. All right. We'll be watching that all week, obviously. Um, I wanted to follow up and, and look forward now as we start a new week on on a couple of the big developments that happened last week, starting, of course, with the this, the agreement that was struck between the Liberals and the NDP. Uh, there was a lot of reaction to that last week. Uh, as, as we move forward now, what, what do you think the impact of that is going to be in Parliament, on the upcoming budget, and on, on po- politics in general in Canada now that this agreement is in place? Well, political observers, politicians, everybody's going to be chewing on this for months to come. Uh, it's a, it, it provides a political buffet for, hmm. for all sides, uh, you know. And I think the next thing to watch for is, is the timing of the budget. You and I have talked about this a lot. Uh, you know, there was some suggestion it might be because of the war in Ukraine, because of uh, the deal with the Democrats, that it might be pushed later while the government rewrites it. Uh, but hearing a lot that uh, the government still plans to, you know, the finance minister plans to introduce a new budget uh, first week of April, uh, which has a couple of things, I think. Um, uh, we've got some really fast uh, people are writing budgets when, when things change after the deal with the NDP and the new things that are being uh, government has agreed to do uh, in terms of NDP priorities. Or it suggests that these talks, which began right after the, the last election between the Liberals and the NDP, and then slowed somewhat, and then we're you know back on in the new year and slowed again, and then sort of really you know picked up momentum in the last few weeks. Uh, that you know the things that, that during those discussions, it became clear to the government what the NDP was obviously interested in in seeing in a budget, and so the government's made sure they were in the budget anyway. So, and this sort of speaks to the the narrative from a, a lot of quarters that. Uh, the government wasn't facing a real uh, threat of defeat uh, in a vote on the budget. And, uh, you know, the the kinds of things that they needed to, to put in a budget, they were going to do anyway uh, to ensure that the NDP would, would support uh, the government on a budget vote. So, you know, it throws lots of questions, it calls into question, you know, a lot of the, the reasoning or the need uh, for the deal. So there, there's that. But moving forward, uh, Conservatives have a, have a target. They're going to constantly go at They've They're well into it already. The Liberal NDP coalition, uh, Jagmeet Singh is the Deputy Prime Minister. Uh, we've heard the narrative already. That's certainly going to continue. And, and in practical terms, the fact that you know, on its 
on its face, the, the deal provides, uh, you know, essentially a, a guarantee of no defeat for a minority government, uh, gives it a de facto majority status for the next uh, three years, uh, gives Conservatives a, a lot of runway, uh, especially if they, you know, for a new leader, gives them a lot of runway. The new leader will be picked in September uh, to get, you know, to settle into that job and to not have to think about an election hanging over them as soon as they, uh, soon as they win. Yeah, that's a very interesting angle because you wonder. Uh, obviously, the the conservatives are going to be critical of the of the agreement and and critical of the dynamics it creates and talking about uh, Hank clinging to power and those kinds of that kind of language. But you wonder if, on some level, there there are benefits to them that they might be secretly happy about. Well, that's it. Uh, the, the idea that for you know uh, the ability to buy time, uh, the ability to uh, and the ability for the next number of years, uh, for as long as, to be clear, um, both Liberals and New Democrats can pull out of this deal if they don't like the way it's going. Um, but they promised a, a you know, a, a, an agreement and a working relationship of no surprises. So, yeah, you, you know, if that's if that's where they're headed, you would think that they could head off any sort of sudden, you know, uh, uh, torching of that deal because somebody uh, you know pulled the rug out from under somebody else. But, yeah. but this is politics, so that that could easily happen. But in terms of uh, you know uh, you know conservatives, you you you'll be able to dine out on on the Liberal NDP coalition from now until the next election, and uh, maybe it does create space. It creates space in in the middle for a narrative that that says the Liberals have moved too far left. They're right there with the NDP, and there's some middle ground that can open up to Conservatives and the sort of progressive side of the Conservative message. But they've got to, they've got to have a leader who's, who's willing to push that progressive side of the message and deal with some progressive policies to, uh, policies to pull those people, those Canadians who are in the middle of the political spectrum and that sometimes shift from Liberals to Conservatives and back again. They have to have a message in the next campaign and leading up to the next campaign that draws them in. Yeah. All right, let's turn to the other big news from last week, the NATO summit that the Prime Minister participated in, and and let's look forward on that issue. Um, and I know, uh, you know, there were a lot of messages uh, delivered after the after the meeting, and and uh, lots of, uh, I'm sure, lots of discussions that we were not even hearing about, um, and and reports from the situation in Ukraine. It, it really does feel like, although there is a lot of demand for urgent action, that NATO leaders are playing a long game here with this, with the measures against Russia, the hope that those are going to gradually ratchet up pressure on Vladimir Putin and, and that what happens on the ground, that, that in a way they can outlast Russia in a war of attrition here. So what's your sense of how things could play out in the, in the days ahead? Well, I think exactly as you're saying, uh, that it's... You know, you, we, it's, it's clear from the, the stance that NATO uh, took last week at the summit and that everything we've seen in, in recent days, NATO is not going to take any kind of precipitous action that will uh, widen the conflict uh, beyond the borders of, of Ukraine as much as it's on the doorstep of, of you know, uh, NATO countries. Uh, they're clearly not going to be the ones that uh, push it that way, although it's, you know, the, the, you've, you've heard everybody say, Mark, uh, what it means to deal with uh, Vladimir Putin and, you know, and 
but questions about his stability and everything else. And, and we saw the remarks, you know, of President Biden in the last couple of days saying, you know, what does it mean when he says he, he can't he can't be left in power and hey, he's a butcher? So they've certainly ratcheted up uh, on the Western side. They've certainly ratcheted up some of the rhetoric. But, you know, as much as they want to keep sending weaponry into Ukraine and continue to turn down uh, flat, the principal request from Ukraine for more tanks and, and warplanes, uh, for tanks and warplanes, even 1% of the NATO arsenal, give us that. Uh, you know, President Zelensky said we can, we can, uh, we can handle the Russians. So that's not going to happen. And then NATO's made it clear. Uh, world leaders have made it clear that what you know, I think your 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 sort of assessment is right that they seem to be headed here towards. You know, how can we how can we do whatever we can do to you know keep Ukraine fighting with a view that uh, the message that sends to the Russians may be to sort of uh, step back and de-escalate. And, and I wonder if we're starting to hear some of that with you know some Russian generals saying that you know the first part of our operation is complete, and so now. You know, our, our focus is to is to uh, you know uh, hold Crimea, take Crimea, have that, and keep that for Russia. And is that where this is headed? And you know, how how do NATO leaders view that? Hmm. Uh, probably with indignation as well. But if it if if the war now starts to uh, you know you know or the conflict now starts to revolve around what what happens to Crimea, and they stop at some point bombing uh, Ukrainian cities well into Ukraine. You know, where are we then? All right. We'll be watching all of that this week. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mark. We'll talk again. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. We're in a parliamentary democracy. And in a parliamentary democracy, uh, all parties uh, in a minority context have to work together. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears argues the Liberal NDP agreement is a sign of political maturity. Sears writes, Nearly all of the advanced democracies are governed by more than one party. The two notable exceptions are Canada and our troubled political neighbor. Most democracies concluded long ago that sharing power between two or more parties delivers more carefully considered policy quickly and effectively. The Bloc and Tory hysteria at the agreement is just rage at suddenly facing a majority government. This historic agreement is a first at the federal level, and probably not the last one. In McLean's, Philippe J. Fournier considers how the Trudeau-Singh agreement could weigh on the Ontario election campaign. Fournier writes that this agreement occurred only weeks before the Ontario campaign gets underway is probably coincidence, but the timing couldn't have been more ideal for Ontario voters, regardless of party allegiance. For Liberals and New Democrats, it brings forth a modern example of cooperation between two parties capable of compromising on many issues and bringing stability to government. As for the PCs, it gives Doug Ford a unique opportunity to warn right-of-center voters against such coalitions with a concrete recent example. The attack ads are probably in the works already. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun considers Canada's support for Ukrainian refugees. The Sun writes, There has quite rightly been a lot of attention placed on what the Canadian government is doing to assist the people of Ukraine, including sanctions against Russian oligarchs, providing humanitarian assistance, and offering military supplies. But there are also stories to be told of Canadians stepping up in other ways to help, 
and there will be more stories to come. When Canadians decide it's time to help, we rally together. The support for Ukrainians is really proving to be a whole-of-society effort, because that is who we are. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be in the Greater Toronto area to make an early learning and child care announcement with Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland, the Minister of Families, Children and Social Development, Karina Gould, and Ontario's Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, will also be there. The Prime Minister will then travel to Vancouver to attend a local celebration of Nauru's. Justice Minister David Lametti will make a funding announcement in Manitoba. And Official Languages Minister Jeanette Pettibaugh-Taylor will take part in a virtual news conference to announce funding to support Francophone post-secondary education. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, March 28th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.